Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and also Mark Stiles of Styles Law. You can check him out at styles-law.com. Uh, we are talking real estate stuff this morning. Mark practices primarily real estate law, and I believe we have a caller, but after that, we're going to get into home ownership uh, discussions, pros, cons of outright ownership, trust, and I really, really, Mark, we're going to make time for getting to our bequesting your home section of the outline. Uh-huh. I really want to get into that. Um, I, we've been talking about some great stuff, but but we can't delay so much, but we do have a caller, right, Kurt? Yes. Uh, I believe we have Teresa in Pembroke. Teresa, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Do you have a question question for us? Well, some of my questions have to do, actually all of my questions have to do with my children. I have a 22, 24, and 26-year-old, and they were smart enough to commute and live at home when they went to college so that they definitely have next to nothing or under $20,000 in college debt, which is unheard of nowadays. Yeah. And my oldest is in the military, so he has been able to put away a lot of money towards buying a house or investing in his future. And my daughter is just starting. How do you tell someone who's making $20 an hour to make sure you put something away towards retirement now? Like, how do you balance investing in yourself for retirement and 
saving money to be able to buy a house because it's going to cost them forever to buy a house by the time they can do it. That's a tough, that's a really tough question. Um, I mean, my general guideline is, you know, saving for retirement, I would place that important, I would play, that's that's high on the list of important things to focus on even when you're 22, 24, or 26, just because starting early and getting into habits early of not living on your full salary, right? Of course you have taxes, but not living on your full after-tax salary um, just getting into those habits early makes things a lot easier down the road. But I would focus on percentages. So even if, you know, one of them is making, you know, $25,000 a year, I mean, they should be focusing on saving a percentage of that, right? So the percentage, the dollar amount gets higher as income grows. But I think 10 to 12 percent i even say upwards of 15 percent is what someone should be tucking away for retirement even starting at a young age and and uh, you know i we've done entire shows you know and talks for two hours about about how much better off you are long term if you can start early and get money saving for you and getting money saved for yourself and working for you meaning working and, and earning interest not guaranteed in the markets um, but starting early is just so important for retirement. So I would place that like of the utmost importance. Having said that, I understand that when people are young, and, you know, and they want to be tucking money away in cash to save for that home, um, it might, unfortunately, you know, at 20 bucks an hour, it might take years and years to be properly positioned for that and or, um, you know, hard work and just increasing earnings over time or getting a second job or, you know, something along those lines to, to make that more realistic goal. I, when, when someone is balancing um, saving for retirement and saving a large amount of cash for something like a first property, I think it's okay to drop, you know, I always use 10 to 15% as a target for retirement. I think it's okay to drop that temporarily, but I wouldn't want to see that go much more, much less than 8% contribution to retirement. I mean, I, I certainly don't think it's prudent to eliminate retirement contributions in favor of saying, saving cash for real estate. I absolutely think it's a balancing act and I don't like to see retirement savings suffer too much. So I know that was a super broad um, answer, Teresa, but I, 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 it's a balancing act. and. They just do what they can and and yeah 20 bucks an hour that's going to be real difficult to save a chunk of cash for a home down payment but hopefully earnings can increase um with with hard work or a second job or a, or another degree to get a you know something that pays a little bit more yeah Mark, anything to add to that well you know you know one other thing in something we always talk about is, you know, before you can even do any of those things is you need to have some cash saved for, you know, emergencies because, you know, it's great to do all these other things to save for, you know, for future goals. But if something pops up in the present that that could completely derail you if you don't have any cash to, to make that go away, because then now you're, now you're accruing debt uh, or you're, or you're tapping into those investments early or paying penalties. And so, you know, if, you know, if she's, if you're, you know, if your child's still under your care, or your wing, you know, maybe, maybe you can help them out in that regard. But if, but if, you know, if you're not able to do that or if they're on their own, you know, having cash in the bank for emergencies, that, that should probably be the number one priority, um, in, in our opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, at 20 bucks an hour, that annualizes to something like 40,000 bucks a year. 
I mean, right. can in this is it? I don't know. I think you said your daughter, for example. Um, you know, can she tuck ten or twelve percent of that away in a retirement account and live at home for a while and bank, you know, ten, fifteen grand a year, so she's more well positioned to purchase a few years from now and have that emergency reserves, and she hasn't sacrificed getting herself started with retirement. I mean, you know, sometimes it's not pretty, but, it, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do in order to achieve some goals. So I would say, you know, can they live at home, save a bunch of money? That's a great way for young people to get started. Sorry, Teresa. I don't know how, <laughs> if that's what you wanted to hear. <laughs> There's no, to be well, fun. actually, it's very much in line with how I was thinking, but I kind of needed, yeah. um, there are times I'm just a mom. So yeah. what do I know? Yeah, no, I you know. I mean, I think, you know, you um, presumably you guided them in, in terms of helping them select schools, and they certainly chose wisely in terms of not uh, taking on very much debt, um, which is wonderful. Um, and you're right, that's, that's fairly rare these days. Um, I just saw an article. I forget where I saw that article. I just saw an article um, that older, uh, older, 52% of older millennials, meaning the mid to late 30 somethings, 52% of them said that their college debt wasn't worth it 10, 10 to 15 years later. Um, I forget where I saw that article, but, um, pretty, pretty interesting. So they certainly chose wisely financially. And, um, so, so they're off to a good start, right? They don't have a hole to dig themselves out of. Um, but I do think, you know, either living at home or having a bunch of roommates and keeping housing expenses really low early on so that they can just bank, 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 and hopefully, you know, start building those habits and saving for retirement and getting that 10, 12, 15% um, right off, right uh, haircut on their paycheck, go to retirement. I mean, I think that, you know, a few years down the road, they've got 30, 40 grand in the bank, 50 grand, maybe then, you know, then that's an emergency savings and a down payment, depending on the price range they're looking, but. Um, Teresa, is she, is she currently renting or currently living with you? She just moved out. She is renting, but it's a house with four other roommates. So her, her rent is, is less than $700 a month. So, so have her pretend that her rent is $1,700 a month and see how that feels for a while and yeah. put that $1,000 into an account that she's not going to touch. And you'll see okay. how fast that'll build up. But more importantly, she'll get used to making a significant a payment. payment and yeah. where she can spend and where she needs to budget. And then, you know, when she's feeling comfortable, have her talk to a mortgage loan professional because there are products out there that, you know, have a low down payment. Again, right now is not an ideal time for someone in her position, but at the same token, uh, it's going to time up very well for her, I think, if she waits that 12, 18 months by putting that money away, having these loan programs that we were talking about earlier, that they're going to start opening up for more reasonable home ownership and, you know, certain areas adjusting for that. But she'll find that if she gets used to paying 1500 1700 a month, she's going to find mortgage payments at that amount or less. And then she'll she'll jog right into it as they say right so it won't be as abrupt like wow okay now i can't do this she'll have already decided i can't go out to dinner every night of the week i can't socialize this way i need to budget because i'm paying 1700 dollars a month it's a mental game too yeah totally and if she doesn't have a 40 you know if any of them don't have a retirement savings account through their employer 401k or the like, where they can just do like, you know, a salary deferral. 
um, they have options outside. They can just make an IRA contribution or make a Roth IRA contribution, um, you know, set an account up online and just have an automatic, you know, 400 bucks a month, 300 bucks a month, whatever the number is, just automatic, you know, make those contributions if there's not something available through their employer. Not all employers will offer a 401k or a similar. Yeah. Well, you're a good mom, Teresa, for, for wanting to, you know, get this guidance on their behalf. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it just, and now I just think of it as you have to, you have to, we have to yeah. help our kids figure it out because I know the educational system has shifted and changed since I was in high school and the expectation of teaching a child of how to be fiscally responsible and how to budget and manage their life just doesn't exist in school. If, if us as parents don't do it, it's not going to happen for them. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. Most it of the, high school, the, the regular programs, I, I had bookkeeping in high school. It was just a three month class, yeah. but it was a bookkeeping, you know, yeah. you learn how to balance a checkbook and those things don't exist anymore. So I just, I, the last thing I want to do is set them up to fail. I agree. Right. I agree. Well, awesome. anything you else you awesome. Good luck. Good luck to your kids. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye. You know, Alyssa she brings up a really good point, you know, with the educational system. I mean, I love what you all are doing with the workshops for these folks and giving them yeah. awareness. But, you know, my son um, had a class his senior year that was taught by. Oh, <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> that me? They didn't want, they didn't want to hear also from me there. anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and he had a class. It was an elective that was yeah. that was really, you know, one of the textbooks was Susie Orman's book, right? So yeah. it's, you know, it was it was learning about credit cards and learning about all of these things that, you know, I fear that a lot of kids graduating high school, they go into college and that discover table is out there, right? And they're here, get some free money. Here's a credit card. Get, yeah. And all of a sudden, not only are they, you know, not building, but they're they're digging themselves into that into that hole. And uh, Teresa's very aware, and that's it's, yeah. it's awesome, and she's totally uh, there for her kids. But you know, our our educational system is is somewhat broken with that. There needs to be a yeah. you know some basic fundamental financial under you know. Yeah, and I know Principal Cuther at Marshfield High School that has been important to him, and we you know we've had discussions about him trying to build that into their curriculum. And I know they have some personal finance classes that they go through at least in Marshfield. Um, yeah, and we do what we can with the Smart with Money Fair. Having said that, we weren't able to do it this year. I don't know if we're still going to try to deliver something some online content. It won't, won't be the same, but, um, you know, hopefully we can start that up again next year. And I'll, I'll just take a moment to quickly announce, I had a client approach me recently um, asking if she, if, if she and I could work together to produce some sort of a podcast geared toward high school, college age kids, just a short five, 10 minute, you know, snip once or twice a week, just here's some quick advice, things to think about. So for that, I was like, Fantastic. Great idea. If someone schedules this for me, gives me the ideas, you know, court puts this on my calendar, I'll show up. I'll, I'll be there. I'll do it. I think that that's wonderful. I mean, I just, you know, a million times I've said on the show, it's just so important to build these habits early, right? right? You are so much better off long-term if you can make good decisions starting in your twenties. And um, yeah, life just so much easier financially later on. So absolutely, yeah. Do that podcast. Very, yes. very, very much needed. Yeah, and I was I'm like, sure. oh, that's wonderful, great. Yeah, great idea. I can't like, 
handle coordinating another thing in my life. But I said, if you help with the coordination, yeah. I'll be there. I can do the content. Yeah. So, so stay tuned for that. We, we, she was starting to think about some, um, some names for our new podcast, but I haven't touched base with her recently, but stay tuned for that. Um, all right, Mark, let's just talk quick in the next eight, nine minutes before we have to take a break. Um, just anything regarding ownership of home clearly the you know the more common is just outright ownership one person or married couple ownership of property um i know you know for example kirk and i put our home in a trust i couldn't even really explain to you why other than we have young kids and i think it was like related to that um and positioning assets for them if something were to happen to us so can you just talk quickly through yeah. So, so there's a number of ways you can own property. Obviously you can own it individually. If you're more than one person, there's a, there's a couple of forms uh, that you can have of ownership. One being tenant in common, right? And the best way to understand tenant in common, doesn't matter who the two people are or two or more people, but they own it individual. They own it together. And if someone were to die, their ownership percentage goes with their estate and the survivor owns their part. So, there's also joint ownership with right of survivorship. So it's called joint tenancy with right of survivorship, where when someone dies, it doesn't stay with their estate. It automatically goes to the other person. So uh, a lot of married couples use that version, joint tenants with right of survivorship. But in Massachusetts, they allow additional protections for married couples and domestic partners where you have uh, tenants by the entirety. So there's more, there's a creditor protection in there as well for uh, the joint tenant ownerships. Um, but we actually, we did a video this week um, and I'd like to plug our YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel, Styles Law Original, um, and it has a bunch of FAQ type of videos, but we did a video uh, on this. Can I be a borrower? Uh, can I can I be an owner of the property, but not a borrower of the bank? Mm. And it's an interesting dynamic because <clears throat> oftentimes it, it's at the last minute. Wait, I thought I was going to be on title, you know, says the husband or says the um, significant other I or the about to be married people. I thought I was going to be on title. Well, we only ran all of the uh, funding numbers and the approval and underwriting through one person. Uh, but yeah, you can be on it. We just need to have you sign a couple of documents. So um, just because you're uh, not borrowing the money doesn't mean you're not uh, able to be an owner of that property. So you can okay. be okay. talking about your estate plan, which is what, which is why your property is in trust is because you're forward thinking, you're being super proactive with respect to where you want your assets to go. And you want to dictate that. If you own the property individually, joint tenants, tenants in common, and the last person dies, it goes through what's called probate, mm -hmm. right? So that's the probate and family court here in Massachusetts. They have to determine heirs. Who are the heirs of Alyssa and Kirk? Mm -hmm. Who is going to get this? Who is going to manage it? If there aren't any heirs, what do we do in that scenario? You know, does the state take the property? Does the state, you know, decide what to do with all of their assets or, or take ownership of those assets if there's really nobody uh, to deliver those to? So what you've done is you've said, well, I want to be the one who determines where this all goes. So we're going to create an estate plan using various living, revocable or irrevocable trusts. 
and having a trust, a separate trust, own that property. The key is, is that those properties have to be deeded into the trust. So a lot of people, yeah. unfortunately, will do an estate plan. They'll do all this. They feel really yeah. good. And yeah. then they don't actually fund. They don't put anything in the trust. Yeah. <laughs> I would love, I was, yeah, I would love to know the percentage because I feel like it's, I feel like it's so, too high. <laughs> too high. So yeah. common. How many How many of our clients have a non-qualified account, like, a, like an account just in their names or a joint account, and then they just drop you know, drop a bomb at some point that they have a living trust. And we're like, wait, what you do? What? Yeah. Yeah. Get it, get it in there. I mean, you're, you're, you're burning money if you're creating a document that you don't fund it, right? Yeah. You have to move all of the assets into that for it to work because yeah. what will happen is, yeah, you might have a nice three ring binder over your fireplace. Yeah. that says <laughs> it's your estate plan. Yeah. But when you die, if it's, if your assets aren't actually in that estate plan, they're not actually uh, transferred into these trusts, then they're in your individual name. And yeah. what you were trying to avoid with court involvement, cost, expense, time for all of your heirs, you've, you've, uh, you've missed the boat on that. So, so what you all did is you created an estate plan that dictated, this is what we want to happen. Yeah. You know, we don't want the state to decide. We certainly don't want to give our kids all of the money when they're 18 years old. Yeah. Right. We want to dictate when maybe we want to have a, a dis disbursement at the age of 23 and then another one at age 28 and then maybe one at 35. Or maybe we want to uh, have our trustee have the discretion to help them with a marriage, help them with student loans, help them with a new business startup. You get to create all of that, your wishes through the trust. And in order to do that, you have to actually deed that house that Kirk and Alyssa own individually or as a couple into the trust, which is the contract that everybody looks at and dictates exactly what your your wishes were. So when you see folks having their homes in trust, it's typically because it's the front facing top of funnel, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, part of their estate plan and they're, and, and they've put out and set forth their wishes. So yeah. um, we highly recommend estate planning. We highly recommend yeah. uh, putting your property in trust because again, as we talk about, it's one of the biggest assets, right? Yeah. So you're able to avoid that, cost expense. And again, a lot of people joke and they're like, well, I'm going to be dead. So it doesn't matter, but you do, but, but you, it does, yeah. matter. it does matter. And especially but, when you start talking about, you know, capital gains and tax and we get into all that, there's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And it, and it, and it matters, especially right now where the probate process takes months and months and months, if not years. Right. And in this hot market, right mom or dad passed, you want to sell the house and take advantage of this market. If it's going through probate, you're out of luck, right? You have to wait for probate to settle. If it's in trust, it's it's very quick. Um, yeah. so, so this is a good example of why that matters to your it's, heirs, right? But to your point, not not to you. If, uh, but, if it, uh, but it's funny. It, it's yeah. funny because it's really easy to get people off. It's, it's kind of like when you're signing closing documents and say, you know, are you signing this freely and voluntarily? No, no, he's got a gun to my head. Ha ha ha. Okay, oh, but we oh. really, 
but we but we really need to get a, a true acknowledgement here. Yeah. You know, are you signing? Yeah. And it's the same kind of concept. It's like, okay, you know, yeah. that's funny. You're right. You're not. But what's your legacy? What's your yeah. legacy? Are you going to try to deliver as much as possible, or are you going yeah. to just kind of throw it up there and see what happens? Yeah, and nobody wants their families to be fighting after they're gone. So no. Um, all right, we um, we have to take a quick break. We're talking with um, Mark Styles of Styles Law. You can find him at styles-law.com and all of his associates. Uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Uh, we've been talking about lots of stuff, real estate, home ownership related. We took a few tangents, but those were fun. Um, I, I, I wanted to really get into home ownership, protecting and bequesting your largest asset. We're taking a break. Be right back. Uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. I'm still um, I'm I'm stumbling a little. I, di- I didn't time our break very well, so I'm a little off my game this morning. Apologies. You know what? T- um, t- Tim is normally pretty impressed with you, I so I think I think he'll cut you some slack on no one. points lost. It's all good. I know. I, I was saying to Kirk, I really I can't when I'm home when I'm home I can't hear the music. Right. So I can time it really well in studio, but it's really hard at home. All right, I'll do. I'll do better. We uh, um, well, I know you. I know you're going somewhere, but Tim's actually on the phone, so we may or may not have a caller. Okay. I'll let you know in a second here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just do one uh, last intro of our guest today. Who's been Mark Styles, Styles Law in Marshfield. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Really enjoyed having you. Um, yeah, and I know. I like I said, I know you've been on the show before, but I don't think I personally had you on the show before. So, nope. so uh, welcome, and of course, love to have you back at some point in the future. Because we cool. there's about 18 things on our on our checklist that we did not get to yet this morning. Happy um, to come back. It's been but I, really fun. But I did want to. I mean, Mark, so Mark's a uh, real estate attorney. Your firm practices lots of different types of real estate, but I know it's uh, lots of types of law. But I know it's primarily real estate. So I did want to talk about some bequesting issues. Kirk, we have a caller. All right, we're after the caller. We're going to get into how to pass on your home to your loved ones and some uh, things to think about there regarding how you can do that. But let's go to the caller first. So who do we have, Kirk? Uh, We have Karen in Hall. Okay. Good morning, Karen. What can we do for you? Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. Um, I'm just, I have a question that probably relates to what's coming up next. So I don't know if I should wait and call back because I'm trying to find out. Go right ahead, Karen. What's your question? Oh, thank you. How do I, can I put my house in trust for my kids if I still have a mortgage? Perfect segue. Yes, we are getting it. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing segue. Yeah. Um, So don't segue? Yes, you can. Short answer is yes. What's the long answer, Mark? So the long answer is, are you planning to refinance that loan at any point in time? Because if you are, you need to have a specific form trust that Fannie and Freddie are going to recognize. And that's why a lot of times, Alyssa, we were talking about the top of the funnel of your estate plan is the real estate trust, which then if you understand trust, so you have a trust who there's trustees who dictate what happens. They're the ones who sign things, call it, you know, synonymous with a president and treasurer of a corporation, right? These are the trustees who are on record dictating. And then you have beneficiaries who are actually the owners of whatever that asset is in trust, right? So you have the the people that make the decisions and then you have the people that are benefiting from those, the beneficiaries. Typically, the reason that we have a top of funnel 
trust is because we want to be able to refinance with Fannie and Freddie and have a an approved trust because sometimes the revocable trusts are especially the irrevocable trusts. And I don't know if you want to get into the differences there, but with the revocable trusts, you typically aren't going to comply with Fannie and Freddie's requirements. So you need a trust that says, okay, here's who owns the property, but the beneficiary is the estate planning trust so that it funnels through, but it also complies with the regulations so that you can refinance. Now, um, was it Ruth? Karen. Karen. I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. So Karen, the, the question I think you're asking though is, I have a mortgage. It's in my name. Am I going to cause a problem with my bank if I transfer it? And it's a great question because if you're really diligent and you read your mortgage, right? And clause 18 of that Fannie Mae mortgage says you can't transfer your property to somebody else. Otherwise you're going to accelerate the mortgage, the note, the obligation to pay. They're going to say, they're going to hold on though, because I'm going to get to some good stuff here. So they're saying that because they don't want you to sell your home and allow them to assign that mortgage, you know, uh, assume that mortgage. So like someone who buys a property and it's 3.5 interest rate is the market, but five years from now, it's maybe it's 5.5. And that person Mm -hmm. says, I'd love to buy your house. Can I use your mortgage financing? Yes. You know, just continue to make payments. The Uh, bank doesn't like that because they didn't get to underwrite um, and approve that borrower. Plus, they would love to get rid of that low interest rate mortgage and get a get a more competitive one. There is an exception to that though, Karen. And that exception is if you're transferring into an estate planning trust. So there's federal cases that say, no, no, you can't accelerate the note. You can't, um, you know, stop somebody from doing a, a, a good, thoughtful estate plan based on the mortgage covenant. So the answer is yes. And Ben, Christine, and our team would, would be more than happy to assist you with that too. Karen, oh, just another great. Karen, just a follow-up question though. Are you are you putting it into a trust in your children's name where you're trying to protect it against like nursing home costs? Is that the type of trust you're thinking of? Well, I didn't even think of that, but that is a problem. But however, I have a $100,000 balloon payment in 2035, and I don't know if I'll be here. <clears throat> so I was worried what will happen to the house I want to... It's it's one of those homes that it's supposed to stay in the family forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just one sure thing to be aware to Just one thing to be aware of, and Mark, help me out here if I'm wrong, but... The type of trust that people, I, from what I understand, there's two or three different types of trust that might be utilized for someone to basically give up ownership of their home, to get it out of their estate so that somewhere down the road they might qualify for Medicaid, which is, you know, if they need nursing care and, and, and right. um, they don't want all their assets to disappear as a result of that potentially high expense. Um, if that's the type of trust that you're thinking of doing, for, again, from what I understand, there's a, there's two or three different types that might be utilized with different names, irrevocable. I've heard third party. I feel like there was another one I heard at one point. Um, so from what I understand, it, it's not a problem that you have a, a current mortgage on the property, but if you, if you do that type of trust, 
you may not or can or cannot or may not be able to take equity out of your home later on. So for anyone that ever needs like a reverse mortgage or wants to take equity out of the property, there are limitations and they may not be able to do that if they do this type of sort of nursing home type trust. Right, Mark? I mean, you're right. And 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 there are many names. You, yeah. you have the AB trust, the family trust. There's a lot of uh you know, uh, different names out there, nicknames, but there's really two two specific types of trusts. If we want to just boil it right down, there's a revocable trust where where Karen would actually have control of everything, and then there's the irrevocable trust, which you're you're uh, alluding to, which is I'm moving it out of my ownership. I'm actually conveying it away into a trust that I don't own anymore. Yeah. Right. I have rights to it. Right. So most oftentimes they're, they're going to pay the expenses and, and all of that on my behalf, but I don't own it anymore. So that, again, you're right. And, um, you know, with the revocable trust, there's a lot more flexibility because you're still the owner. It's still in your estate. It still will be countable when you need that uh, assistance in later years. Irrevocable is out of your estate. It's out of your ownership and it's being controlled and and uh, benefiting you, but not but you don't own it. And I love the segue into um, reverse mortgages because I think those are an amazing estate planning and financial planning tool. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever says that. I, I, <laughs> Except like me and Kirk and my dad once in a while on the show, but like nobody agrees with us. <laughs> and David and David says it too. I think you know, yeah, right? But, but I. I believe it. I really yes. believe I am completely sold. I think, yes, um, me too. you know, they have it, their place in the world. They, really they have do. a, they have a really yeah. important place. And I, yeah. and I think more and more people need to understand that. And, you know, there was some, cool. you know, I've talked to David about it a bunch, you know, there was some really bad publicity years ago yeah. because there were bad apples, but there's so much regulation now. And it, it's such a great tool to balance things out. Especially in this area of the world and in places like, you know, Chicago and San Francisco and, you know, it really anywhere in California, like where real estate, where the value of your property is so substantial compared to your net worth. It's such a substantial portion of your net worth for many people. Right. And, and to have all that money or that, that large of an asset tied up and not accessible for many people doesn't make sense being able to access it and use it for quality of life, et cetera, makes sense. And, and couple that with the fact that, you know, real estate prices, especially right now, and who knows, maybe forever, are just, you know, increasing at, at a fairly good pace. Um, I and think, a lot of people, yeah. they want to stay home, right? Exactly. They want to age yeah. in place. And this is an yeah. amazing product to allow them to Absolutely. age in place and balance out that financial portfolio. I mean, if you want to, you know, not pull money out of the market. Yeah. You know, and you, you've got it. It's, it's in essence buried in your backyard, right? All that money is in a in a suitcase mine is, in your mine backyard. Mine is buried in my backyard, yes. <laughs> tons, tons of research there on what a great financial tool they are, actually. Yeah. Great. Um, good, sorry, Karen. Awareness. Karen, we're going off on a crazy tangent here. What other questions do you have for us? Did we answer your question? Okay. Uh, to try to be really quick, I was thinking maybe it would just be easier to sell my house to my kids and then they own the mortgage and I have nothing. <laughs> so, so Alyssa, this is a great segue yes. into um, yeah. the other topic we were talking about. Yeah. And, you know, it, it depends on capital gains, right? It depends on capital gains. It depends on gifting. It depends on your overall estate. And we have a, yeah. 
we had a situation where there was a person, uh, individual who owned a, a pretty substantial piece of property, uh, but had received it from their family, uh, Karen. So you can appreciate this. It had been stayed in the family. And I think, you know, when it was first purchased, right, that initial basis point. So if we talk about taxes, that initial strike price of what is looked at was like $18,000, right? It was purchased back in the fifties. This property is now worth $1 million, right? So regardless, we have one person who owns it and they get a $250,000, you know, exclusion from the capital gains, but there's a huge delta of money there. So there's still $750,000 that's exposed to capital gains. And, you know, we were trying to strategize, okay, it's a two family. Do we uh, rent it out, take Mm -hmm. the money from the rent and then dip into portions of their estate from savings, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, there just wasn't enough savings. So it it wasn't going to work. You can't do a reverse mortgage because she's decided she's leaving the home forever. I mean, the woman is you know, 96 years old. So the reverse mortgage isn't going to work because you have to live there. But but it, it brings up a great question, which requires a lot more information, uh, Karen, which is, okay. you know, I'll have to come and see you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, ben, like I said, Ben and Christine are our estate planning team, and, and they'd be happy to set up an appointment. We'd love to have you join the team okay. and, and guide you the best that we can. But there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of questions that would need to be asked to determine. If selling it, I just want to say I didn't. I wasn't gifted the house. It was sold from my grandparents to my parents. My brother bought it from my parents for twenty nine thousand dollars. He sold it to me for one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars. So what is it? What is it worth now? Um, they say about two eighty. I think, but I think it's worth a lot more because my neighborhood has become suddenly the everybody wants to be there. Okay, so if you you paid one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars for it, yes. Okay, and so say it's worth maybe three hundred thousand dollars now. Yes, but I actually owe more now because I almost lost it, saved it, and wound up. It's a long story. I, I have a hundred and fifty dollar mortgage on it, hundred and fifty thousand mortgage on it. But I also got stuck with a hundred thousand dollar balloon payment. But that was the only way I could save the house. Okay. Well, so for so for you, Karen. So and, wait, and, you, and and is this your primary residence? Yes. Okay. Okay. So if it's your primary residence and you sell it, a, a single person is forgiven, as Mark just said, up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of capital mm. gains on the properties. Excuse me. So your oh. capital gain on the property is roughly one hundred and eighty thousand dollars since you purchased it unless you put substantial work into it, but let's just call it your capital gains 180,000, right? Right. So if you were to sell it, you don't have a tax, it doesn't sound like you have a tax problem because it's your primary residence and it has been for three out of the last five years, or is it two, three out of the last five, right? Um, so you could sell it to your kids and walk away. It sounds like you could sell it to your kids and walk away without tax consequences. For some people that's a problem because for some people that have a gain more substantial than that, um, they may want to just allow the property to pass to kids because under current law, there's a step up, what we call a step up in cost basis at death, unless you have put your home in, in some sort of a trust, but not to, not to overcomplicate. Um, when properties pass to the next generation, the basis is reset to market value. So for you, because your gain doesn't exceed 
um, $250,000, you, you could sell it to the kids. But then is there some sort of an agreement that you're living there? Are you moving? Are you staying there? Like, then are there some issues regarding if you want to live right. there and if they own the well, property? One of, them definitely, right? one of them definitely wants to live there, and the other ones I'm not sure about. But okay. um, <laughs> but I, I kind of have the rule that um, they both have to be involved in it one way or another. I'm not supposed to ever sell it. My mother told me on her deathbed to keep this house in the family. <laughs> it's like, I need help then um, trying to figure out how to do that, but that's why yeah. I called you. Yeah. But um, my my well, dad sold my dad sold another family home we had to my brother for $20 or something, and then my dad got stuck with this giant tax bill. This is... Karen is going through our entire uh, uh, outline right now. These are all the things we wanted to talk about. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping no, down it's on great. you. No, it's great. It's great. Um, Karen, uh, I, I definitely think it, so it sounds like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you and Mark's team. Okay. Might be appropriate. So go to um, it's styles-law.com or Mark, you had given out your calendar. Yeah, so the Calendly link is, a, is Calendly, C-A-L- a N D Y Calendly L E Y L Y dot com. I'm sorry. But the bet you know what the best way to do it is because Ben and Christine are gonna be the ones that you're gonna be talking to is to call the office at 781 319 Okay. I'm interested in that balloon payment though. That that's interesting uh, to me. I'm not <laughs> is that is that I, over and above the 150, or is that part of the yes, 150? Yes, that is that is over and above. And when I I was so desperate to save the house, and when they called and said I saved it, I was so happy because she said because you did all the paperwork, we're giving you a new mortgage. And I just did whatever I could to hold on. So I didn't really like. I knew balloon payments were not good, but I did what I could, whatever I had to do at the time to make sure the house was still mine. Mm -hmm. Perhaps, perhaps a refinance is in order. Yeah. 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 Okay. And it may require having the kids. There's a lot to talk about, yeah. a lot to unpack there, Karen. So give a call to the office. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll write notes next time so I can be precise and have the questions ready. There you go. All right. But I do, but Alyssa, I do this, listen this all the time. Okay. Thank well, you. All right, Karen, thank, thank, you, thank you for the call. Thank you very much. Have a good I'll night. be calling soon. All right, bye-bye. Alyssa, bye. this brings up a really interesting point, too, about, you know, having that that team around you, right? Because yeah. there's there's no jack-of-all-trades. Even talking yeah. to Karen right there, there was, you know, a component of at least four professionals yeah. that yeah. need to be involved with yeah. the financial advisor, the estate planning attorney, the real estate attorney, real yeah. estate agent giving value. Accountant. Tax, tax professional. Loan, yeah. And yeah. absolutely a tax professional. And, and the thing about it is, I think when we talk to people about this, you want to have a team around you. You want to be able to have every one of those professionals in your phone. Hopefully they know each other, right? So they can talk about you. Uh, together jointly to make it most beneficial for you. But a lot of people are like, well, I'm not uber wealthy, you know? And it's like, well, so what? You still yeah. need, you, you You know, do you want to be uber wealthy? Because you're going to need these professionals to help guide you there. Anyhow, if you don't want to be uber wealthy, it doesn't matter. You still need these professionals. And it's not, it, it's not a barrier 
that is insurmountable for the average person. The average person there, needs- There are professionals that work with regular old, regular <laughs> yeah. people that aren't multimillionaires, right? I'm, a, I'm an example and, of- and, it, and if you don't, if you don't engage these people, you can, you can go the wrong direction uh, by, try, yeah. by trying to make your, get, your own guesses on your own, you know? Well, that's the th that's a great point, Kirk. And a lot of people are like, well, I can't really afford to have it. Well, you can't afford not to right. because the cost of making that mistake is exponentially more expensive than, yeah. you know, had you had you done nothing. Right. So um, Karen, Karen brought up an issue right before she hung up and that she said somebody had sold something to, a yeah. to her brother for 20 bucks. So that was actually something we wanted to just touch on yeah. that. It's not uncommon from what I hear for people to sell a property to someone in their family, but sell it at a discount. So you can speak to the legal issues surrounding that, but from, but people should be aware that the discount that they have provided for that family member is considered a taxable gift. Right. So if it's like a $15,000 discount, 25, you know, something under the gift tax exclusion limit, which is only $15,000 per person, but a married couple could be 30. But if it was a substantial discount, 100, 200, $300,000, that is a taxable gift for that person that needs to be reported. And gift tax is not necessarily paid in current year, but it, it changes the estate tax right. situation at death. So that's certainly something to consider if selling a property to a family member at a steep discount. Anything on the legal side for that, Mark? Well, the, it just goes back to the whole team thing, right? Somebody comes to us and says, I want to I want to give this property to my son. Well, okay, there's a lot of questions that we have to yeah. ask right now. And one of them is, you know, who's your CPA? Because we need to understand how this is going to affect your estate, your yeah. your gifting allowability. You know, do you have an estate planning attorney? Hopefully, you know, you're calling us because we are your estate planning attorney. But, yeah. you know, are we getting together the right people? Do we have the financial advisor who really has a good grasp of your overall financial estate? Right. Can we bring Alyssa and Kirk in and, and talk about this and make sure that you're doing what is most beneficial long term? Right. It makes sense now. Yeah, it's great. You want to give it to your son. But this is this could have adverse effects. Is there another way to do this, to make it work for everybody. Yeah, and then think about the example property that you had where someone paid you know, $20,000 for a property lots of years ago, right? And now it's yeah. worth a million dollars, right? Crazy example of that. Right. If, 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 if you own a property like that where there's substantial capital appreciation, when you die under current law, your heirs receive that property and the full capital gain is eliminated. Right, so we have what's called a step up in basis as of date of death, again, unless the home was put into an irrevocable trust, I think, or some of them. Right. Um, they, I think they can be written in different ways. But so, so allowing that to pass to your heirs eliminates a pretty big tax, you know, tax event, whereas selling that property would realize a big tax event. Right. Um, and or, or gifting a property, right? When you gift a property like that, there's still the, the the tax consequence and whoever you're, you gifted it to still has a huge taxable gain. That doesn't right. go away upon gifting. Right. Um, so lots of tax issues to deal with there depending on if there's any substantial appreciation in the property. Um, super fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, and it's really interesting, but it requires, you know, multiple professionals, yeah. right? It yeah. requires an analysis of, you know, you know, these, these deathbed, deeds, right? So someone's, I want to make sure that this goes to, to, to Joey. Well, 
don't do it right now because yeah. now we're going to, you know, c- capture a huge uh, capital gain where, you know, let's maybe, maybe let's put it in trust, right? Yeah. So we could put it in trust for Joey, but we haven't, we haven't uh, created a taxable event yet. And that step up in basis, folks, if you're listening to and, and wondering what that is, it's a, it's a huge benefit yeah. uh, right now that if, you know, you, you take that strike price that we were talking about in our scenarios, $20,000, and it immediately upon death goes to that value at death, that million dollars. So all of that potential capital gain goes away at death. So when people call and say, you know, I, I want to just deed this prop, you know, and they're stressed, they're anxious, they're, they're dying. Right. So I want to do this. I want to do this. And they're not thinking through, like, I need the accountant. I need the financial advisor. They just want to make sure Joey gets the house. Well, let's pump the brakes and let's do it this way instead. That way you just save $200,000 in capital gains tax. The step up in basis is an incredibly powerful estate planning tool. I am speculating that that's going away at some point. Uh, I'm speculating tax <laughs> change there. That's uh, going away. It's too good to be true. It has been for too long. Yeah, I think I, I, I tend to agree. And yeah. they're already talking about the 10th. We didn't even get into real estate investing, but they're talking about taking away the 1031 exchange. Oh, um, is that so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there could be some changes in the taxes, but that's even yeah. more the reason to have that team, right? How yeah. do I, yeah. how do I work within the bounds of the law? How do I work within the rules to help benefit me, yeah. my state and my family best I can? Well, you need a financial advisor, you need a CPA, you need an estate planning attorney, and you need the yeah. protection of a, a property and casualty insurance agent too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we didn't even get into that. Hey, real quick. What, yeah. we have like two minutes. Can you answer for me? Because I have a mental block on this. Can you answer for me? What is a life estate? You have two minutes or less. Go. Uh, I was waiting for the stump, but okay. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. So that's another, that's another quick strategy uh, to do it is to transfer, but maintain a life tenancy. So what you are is you get the ability to stay there. Right. And, And a lot of people utilize that with respect to. Uh, you know, going into assisted living cares, you know, I have the intention that I have the intention to return back. Right. So I have the intention to return back, but but you also, nobody can sell it without your permission. Right. So you can grant it to your kids while reserving a right. You reserving your right to uh, have that home for your purposes for the rest of your life. So you're like, you give up ownership of it, like a gift. Yeah. So you're giving yeah. up the ownership, the fee simple ownership in the property, but you're maintaining, you know, possessory rights, right? You're pre- yeah. maintaining a tenancy, if you will. So different uh, from a straight out gift where there would be ne- right. not necessarily your ability to reside in the property. If you're it's, it's, okay. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a great tool for estate and financial planning and, and, yeah. uh, and all yeah. that. So it is another, it is just another tool in the toolbox as they yeah. said. Okay. All right. Well, we have to wrap up. This has been lovely. Um, We've been chatting with Mark Stiles, Stiles Law. Mark practices primarily real estate law, but his firm does all sorts of types of law, including estate planning. I'll give a little plug for your attorney in-house there, Ben Cody, who we have referred several people to on the estate planning side. I get rave reviews regarding Ben Cody. He's so responsive, super nice guy, knows what he's doing. So kudos to you for having a great team. Um, I am Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. Joined this morning also by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Um, You can check out Mark Stiles at styles-law.com. You can check out me and Kirk at McNamaraFinancial.com. I hope everyone enjoys this beautiful weekend. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me.